Several years ago, I read a book by Dr. Tim Irwin that was called Derailed. And what he did in that book, it's a business book, a leadership book, and what he did was sort of examine the careers of several top executives whose careers and lives were derailed because of some kind of poor conduct, poor leadership, poor moral uh, understanding. And, and as I read through that book, he then identifies four character traits that help us overcome how these people were derailed. And as I was reading that book, I thought, you know, there's a biblical character who showed all of the characteristics that, that, that Tim Irwin identifies that can help us overcome derailment. And, and Scripture gives us this example of the right kind of character, I think just for that reason, to help us understand the character that God wants us to have so that we can have the right kind of person, the right kind of family, the right kind of conduct in business and in church, and, and that man's name is Joseph. We find his example at the book of the end of Genesis. It's one of my favorite stories. And so for the next few weeks, four Sundays, I want us to look at this man named Joseph and hear the kind of character that we're supposed to have. And so in a few minutes, we'll be in Genesis 39. We'll get to that. But the first one of these character traits that I want us to think about is self-control. That's the one that Tim Irwin identifies first as well. Now, you know, when we think about self-control, oftentimes what first comes to mind is a lack of self-control, right? Because sometimes self-control is really hard. Now, we all have some food that we find difficult to turn down. For me, if I see the light at the Krispy Kreme store, you know, and I think we had a picture of that, that's really hard to, uh, to refuse, right? Because, I mean, donuts are good, and we have them in here every Sunday, but I can turn those down because they're not, they're not hot, right? I mean, when they're fresh and they're hot at the Krispy Kreme store, that's a whole different level of deliciousness than one that's, you know, several hours old. So, now that we're all distracted, right? Come back to me, all right? Let's, let's focus back. We all have something that, that's a little hard to control. It's difficult to turn down some food that you really like. And we're t we begin thinking about how we control our appetite. Stephen Hayer was one of the examples that Tim Irwin uses. He was the CEO of Starwood, which is a big hotel corporation. He was known as a hard charger, known as the tank. He was very successful at Starwood and, and really helped them overcome some of the things that they were battling. But, but his career was brought down because there was an anonymous email that was sent that said he had sent some suggestive emails and had an inappropriate encounter with someone in the business, and, and he was a married man. And, and rather than responding to the, to the accusations, he said this, for an anonymous letter to basically destroy a reputation would be sinful. <clears throat> never denied the allegations, certainly never admitted it and then apologized. He just said it would be sinful for this to bring a person like me down. But then those allegations were verified by ABC News and he lost his position. Why? Because of a lack of self-control. Because he couldn't control something within him. Now, this book was written several years ago and in the past year, wow, we've seen a lot of this, haven't we? It's been in the news virtually every single day. And we see a massive lack of self-control by so many people in our culture that have tried to take advantage of people, situations, to get 
something they wanted, to satisfy a desire within them. We see that it is pervasive in our culture. Overwhelmingly so. So we think, man, we need to deal with this issue of self-control. You know, we think about self-control. Really, what we're talking about is controlling appetites that are within us. Not just for food, but that is certainly one of them. God has given us appetites that they really are all about maintaining health, right? God gives us appetites for things that, that we need to survive or that the human race needs to survive. When we think about Krispy Kreme donuts, it's food, right? We need food to survive. Our bodies cannot survive for very long without food. God's created an, 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 a, a desire, an appetite for food within us because we need that food. Now, here's the problem. We've all taken sort of that to the extreme at different times in our lives, right? We've all gone too far with that. And the result is that we threaten our health, we threaten our well-being. The very thing that we need to keep us alive in the end, too much of it really could kill us. So we have to find a balance. See, that's back to self-control. Yeah, God created this desire within us for something we need, but if we don't control the desire, and the desire, the appetite, controls us, we get ourselves into trouble. This could be true of many different things. It's not just food. All right, we need, we need money to survive, right? We've got to pay our bills. We've got to provide housing for our families and for ourselves. We need clothes to wear. We need some kind of transportation. We need to be able to buy the food that keeps us alive. We need money. Now, what happens, though, when we lose a healthy appetite for something that's required to stay alive, and it becomes the goal of our lives, right? We can make the goal of our lives the accumulation of wealth. That's not healthy. Because that changes who we are. That changes how we approach people and certainly how we approach God. If money is the end for us, if it's the most important thing, that can destroy us just like too much food. And certainly this is true with sex as well. God created an appetite for sex within us so that the human race would continue. It's something that we need. But when we take that outside of a healthy marriage between a man and a woman, it becomes sinful. And so we begin to take advantage of other people to get what we want for our bodies. We forget what God commanded us because we want to get what we want for our bodies to satisfy a pleasure that we want. You see, these appetites God made to, to make us healthy, and we pervert them. We take them to the extreme. They get out of control, and the appetites control us. The appetites control our lives, our goals, what we want. And the question is, how do we develop the kind of character that allows us to control the appetites? It's called self-control. Now, God deals with this throughout Scripture. This is not a simple issue. God deals with it over and over again. In the Old Testament, you can look at this story that we're going to look at over the next several weeks, Joseph. You could look in the book of Proverbs, and self-control is dealt with over and over again, countless times in the book of Proverbs, we could look at the writings of the New Testament. Even Jesus talks about some of these things. God dealt with this because it is pervasive in human culture. But over the next few weeks, we want to look at Joseph. And today, we pick up the story of Joseph sort of in the middle. We're in Genesis 29. In, the, in that part of the story, we find that Joseph 
who is the favorite son of his father, okay, which creates all kinds of problems among his 11 brothers. Whenever you're the favorite, somebody's going to have a problem with that. There's jealousy, all sorts of issues. And so his own brothers sell him into slavery sort of as a last resort to not killing him, and they sell him to some, well, some distant relatives, as a matter of fact. They take him to Egypt, where Joseph is sold to the captain of the guard of Egypt. Now, from there on out, this story is somewhat familiar to people who've been in church for a while, but I think there's an element to this story that maybe we've missed. And so as we sort through this, this one chapter today, I want to think about it maybe in a way you've not thought about it before. What we find is that Scripture says God blessed Joseph. He blessed him so that everything he touched prospered. God gave him the power to be successful in what he did, even as a slave. And so this man that owns him, his name is Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard of Egypt. This is a pretty important position. This man who has a great deal of power turns much of his power over to Joseph. And so Joseph runs his whole household. Everything he has, Potiphar entrusts to Joseph because he sees that whatever Joseph does, it's successful. He prospers. So everything he owns, he says, Joseph, I want you to take care of it. And Scripture says the only thing that Potiphar worried about was the food he ate. Pretty easy. Krispy Kreme donuts, right? I mean, he's back to that. But then there's another character who enters the story. And interestingly, we're never even given her name. It's just Potiphar's wife. Potiphar sees a different kind of power in Joseph. Potiphar's wife sees a different kind of power in Joseph than her husband does, and, and she sees that he is desirable to her. In fact, he, she wants to have sex with Joseph. And so she goes to Joseph and she sort of dispenses with all the preliminaries and just commands him, Come to bed with me. That's it. You see, she's in a position of power. Joseph has to make a decision. Joseph has to decide how he's going to respond to this. She thinks she has control of this situation, right? That Joseph is owned, owned by her husband. But that's not the way it works. Genesis chapter 39, verse 8. Joseph refused. With me in charge, Joseph told Potiphar's wife, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? No. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Against God. As I look through this story, what I notice is that Joseph is the only one who recognizes who really has the power. <clears throat> Potiphar thinks he's in control. He's an important official. He owns people. Pretty easy to think you're a powerful person when you own someone. Potiphar's wife thinks she has the power because she's married to a powerful man, 
And she can command Joseph to do whatever she wants him to do. Everyone thinks Joseph is a person of power because whatever he does prospers. And what does Joseph say? How could I do this and sin against myself? No, against other people. No, against God. Because Joseph understood that it was God who was in charge. God had blessed him. God had made him prosper. But of course, Potiphar's wife is not finished. She keeps coming to Joseph, and Joseph keeps refusing her, even making sure that he is never with this woman. But until that day, until they're alone in the house together, and she sees her chance, and she grabs him, and once again, she demands that he come to bed with her. And this time, Joseph just, he's got to get out of there. See, she thinks she has him where she wants him. And Joseph flees, but she still has hold of his cloak. And that's her evidence. Now she thinks she's in the position of power. And she reports what he's done. And Joseph, who seemed so powerful, is now not, not Joseph, the sort of steward in charge of everything that Potiphar owned. Joseph is Joseph the prisoner because of her accusations. And it would seem that Joseph is now powerless. Not only a slave, but a prisoner in an Egyptian prison in the ancient world, which could not have been pleasant. But what Scripture tells us at the end of chapter 31, 39 is very similar to what it tells us at the beginning of chapter 39. That God blessed Joseph. And everything that Joseph touched prospered. Now, I can't imagine what he's touching in the prison in Egypt that's prospering, but something did. Because guess what? People noticed. And the master of the jail, the jailer notices Joseph and notices this success. And before long, just like in Potiphar's household, Joseph is in charge of the prison as a prisoner. Seemingly a man of power. So what do we see in this story? I think oftentimes we've read it, and, and not wrongly so, that man, here's Joseph. Here's a man of amazing self-control. And it's true. He turns down this opportunity for sex over and over and over again when it would have been easy to give in. He knows this woman has control over him in some ways, control over his destiny anyway, but Joseph says no over and over again because Potiphar has entrusted him, but more importantly, because of what God has commanded. What we see is that Joseph understood that the real source of power was not within him, it was not in the, the way that the world defines power, like being in control of the, the guard of all of Egypt, or owning other people, or being married to someone powerful. Real power is always found in God. And in God alone. And so the message for us in this story is to recognize the real source of power. Everyone in this story thinks they understand how power works. You tell people what to do. You buy and sell actual people. You control other people because you're in charge or because you're married to the person in charge. 
And Joseph stands against all that and says, no, God is in charge. So how does that relate back to dealing with the temptation, the appetites that we have in our lives? Well, first of all, I think it reminds us that this is not just about self-control. Okay? This is about entrusting myself to God's control. So it's not just about me saying no to everything and being such a powerfully strong person. It's more about me allowing God to be at work in my life to make me the kind of person who says yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. It's about God having the power in my life. Because you see, sometimes when, when we learn to say no to something, whether it's food or the pursuit of money or sex, or you just name it, whatever the appetite is, suddenly we think, wow, we're doing pretty good, right? I'm in control of this. I've got self-control. I've learned to control this appetite. I've learned to control this desire, to deal with this temptation. Man, that's good. I feel good about myself. And then we mess up. And then we get back into old habits. And we forget that we're weak. And that we fail. And that we sin. And it's really not about me. Because when I think I've gotten really strong, and I think I'm in control, I'm trusting the wrong source of power. And we've got to recognize the real source of power, and it's God. And so, when we're dealing with these appetites and these desires, what should we do? Well, we need to trust God. And I'm not saying God's going to just take away all the desires for things that are unhealthy in our life. God doesn't usually work that way, but, but God is waiting for you to ask Him to help. God is a source of power at our disposal. Joseph could say no because he knew the God that he served. And we need to trust this same God. This God is just as powerful today as he was in Joseph's day. He's just as involved with humans today as he was in Joseph's day. He is waiting on you to ask for help. That's about prayer. That's about trust. Sometimes we don't want to do what's right. It's about trusting that what God says is right really is the right thing to do. That's trust. That's faith. And then this involves depending on the resources that God has given us, whether it's His Word that speaks to these things and gives us examples over and over again, or whether it's these people here. People that we share community with. One of the things that God has given us other Christians for is accountability. We need people who will ask us, how are you doing with that? It doesn't have to be a big group, but we need people who will say, listen, are you still dealing with that? How can I pray for you? How can, can give, give me a time to call you and make sure you're okay. We need that from one another. God has given us resources, and part of that resource is the people around us today. But we can't just trust ourselves. And in some ways, this message shouldn't be about self-control. It's about trusting God. Because God can help us control the appetites that He's put within us from the beginning.
if we trust that God is the, is the one who's in charge. Now, if we look in the New Testament, we see Paul deal with the same thing. Look over in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, if we're honest, we know that there are times in our lives when sin was in control. When the appetites controlled us and we did not control the appetites. Paul's saying, listen, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, things really can change. Sin can, sin can be defeated. Jesus did it. And when we trust this Jesus who has the power, He can help us overcome the sin in our lives. But again, we've got to put, put our trust there. Put our trust in this God who's powerful and use the resources He's given us. Choose to recognize the real source of power. Let's pray together. God, we know we're sinners. We know there are times that we've let our desires, our appetites control us. And God, we come before you today asking that you'd give us the strength to control the things that are within us, to control the desires that we have, and help us to be the right people, develop within us the right character. We know that you have the power to do, it, do that, and we ask that you would. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.